Welcome back. Today's episode features Alex and Joel Ellis from the podcast Barely Braided. You may remember Alex from last week's episode when she interviewed me on her podcast. Alex and Joel have been foster parents for three years and are also the adoptive parents to their son, Brooks. We'll address some of what they've experienced with the foster care system, the good and the bad, and what advice they wish to share with future foster parents. Welcome back to Foster Features Podcast. I am your host, Pauline Goldsmith-Johnson. Today, we're going to be hearing from Joel and Alex Ellis, who jumped into foster parent training even before they jumped into marriage. They've been licensed foster parents in the Nashville, Tennessee area for three years. They juggle a busy schedule of working full-time, podcasting. Alex is a part-time college student, and they manage a rental property They manage rental properties and are in the process of launching a startup retail business. But their most important and rewarding job is as parents to their one-and-a-half-year-old adopted son, Brooks, and their foster daughter that's been with them for almost a year. Welcome, Alex and Joel. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm very excited to have you here. So I know that you, you guys have kind of been doing this for a few years now. So my first question is, when did... When you began this process, what did it look like for you? Like, what was the impetus for this? Well, um, I was previously married, and it, in that uh, debacle, I guess is the easiest way to call it, uh, came to the realization that uh, through testing and whatnot, that it would be really, really hard for me to have, have children. Um, and we tried um, numerous different ways. And it didn't work. And ultimately, um, when I started dating Alex, I don't know, it's probably a year or so into dating, year and a half maybe, um, we were chatting back and forth on uh, Gmail while we were supposed to be working. <laughs> and she she asked me if I'd ever thought of, of being a foster parent or, or if I would ever consider it. And I said, sure. Hmm, I said, sure. that'd, be, that'd be pretty cool, knowing my background and whatnot, and that I wanted to have kids in the home. And, and uh, 30 minutes later, lo and behold, we were signed up. <laughs> and you weren't but even married. You were just dating. <laughs> yeah, we were just dating at the time. But also, to add to his story, even like in the very beginning when we started dating, like I think we were both in a spot where we knew what we wanted. We had gotten out of relationships that weren't so good. And so we had that conversation in the very beginning, like a couple weeks in where we were like, hey, what are your life goals? What are your family goals? And I knew about his previous marriage and what they had been through. So I kind of had a good understanding of what he wanted and where we could go if it worked out and if we stayed together. And having that understanding on the front end was so important. So I knew later on, after our relationship had become more serious and I really saw it going somewhere, that he would probably be open to foster care. So I, I kind of knew it was coming. But yeah, we were signed up within 30 minutes for the training classes. Wow. Yeah, her brother, her brother is a... And his wife are foster parents in Texas. And I think that's probably where the ultimate uh, idea came from. Mm. And how long have they been fostering in Texas? 
they've been fostering for several years. Um, they've kind of um, had placements for a little bit and then have taken a break, and now they're considering going back. It's, they have older children who are college age or, or above that, and so they've been doing it for quite a while, and I know that they've experienced um, some hard times as a family, and so we kind of knew that going in as well, that it was going to be really, really good, but it was also going to be really hard. Mm, yeah, that was going to be my question was, did it um, inspire you or did it kind of challenge you in the beginning when you were kind of coming to this decision to like really go ahead and do this? Because even when you sign up, that doesn't mean that you're going to go ahead and do it. I mean, lots of people sign up and never complete the training or complete the training and kind of get cold feet. So during that process, did you find yourself kind of being more inspired or more a little bit challenged by the people in your life who were already fostering and what they had shared with you? No, I think everybody was, uh, was all for it. Um, her family that was already fostering and, and everybody that knew that we were, uh, going through the past training or they called it past year at that time. So yeah, everybody was, was very supportive of us. That's awesome. Yeah. You really need that going into this. And is it okay if I ask your ages? I am 40. Okay. And I just turned 33. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that you have to be, um, you have to really know and understand the challenges when you when you get into this, and um, it helps to have a really good, strong foundation and um, in your own relationships and in your wider community because you're going to need to call upon that, um, especially in the beginning because it's it's just hard to know. So tell me a little bit yeah, about. Absolutely. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say um, it's kind of one of those things where I feel like they didn't fully prepare us for the hardest aspects of foster care um even like the logistical things like it's very difficult to be a full-time working foster parent because um the daycare especially for younger children you're kind of on your own for that and so yeah they tell you all the meetings that i mean we have scheduled for us whether it's visits with parents visits with workers visits with our workers you know doctor's appointments it's it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure that the training fully prepared us for all of the really hard stuff. Mm. And are you responsible for escorting the child to like doctor's appointments and visits with family? Or is that something the social worker handles? So we are responsible for that transportation in the classes. They kind of made it sound like the caseworkers would be more willing to help, but the caseworkers are so inundated themselves and they're working so many hours that a lot of times it's not feasible for them to help you with appointments. And so it does fall on the parents in most instances. Mm. Wow. And that wasn't anything they mentioned in the classes. No, not really. No. <laughs> That's crazy. And so in the, the the courses that you did, was that through um, a private agency or was that through a state-funded agency? It was through the state of Tennessee and we met at the, the county, one of the county buildings, but it was a subcontractor um, through the state that, that did the class. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if, have you guys come across any other foster parents who didn't use that? 
subcontractor or that agency and and we're in another one and and kind of complain about the same thing or do you think it's it's sort of different depending on where you go for the training i think everybody here in the state of tennessee i think they use the same uh curriculum Mm -hmm. whether it's um state run or agency run and i think by county it varies a little bit but i I believe they use the same curriculum Hmm. okay yeah, because I know it's different from state to state. And I, I think in some states, it might be different. In the really large kind of middle states, it might be um, more like on a district level. But it's always interesting for me to hear like how it works somewhere else because I'm in New York. Um, but uh, I was adopted through um, through the, the Massachusetts system, um, specifically in Boston. And so, and I even think in Western Massachusetts, it might be a little different than it is in the Eastern part of the state. So it's very interesting to hear about the differences, especially that are like, seem so fundamental. So in the training, what did you learn to be prepared for now that we know what you weren't prepared for? Um, I remember we did kind of like the basic things you would expect, like CPR, first aid, how to administer medication. I know they showed us a ton of different forms, how to fill them out. Like if you give a child medication, this is the form that needs to be filled out. And if you take them to the doctor, this is the form that needs to be filled out. Um, I also do remember hearing a lot of material uh, based around uh, children who have experienced trauma and what sort of parenting is appropriate for that child and what sort of parenting is not appropriate. Um, I know they said like any form of uh, like physical punishment is not allowed. And um, that's kind of what I learned. Joel, do you remember anything different? No, not really. Um, I think it was, to me, it was more of a crash course on, on things that you'll experience along the way. And, And the forms, yeah, I remember those forms, but I don't think that we've filled out any of those forms really. Because we've we've been on we've had just little people yeah. that are healthy, so no no medicines, no uh, just well baby checkups and stuff like that. And but yeah, I don't think we've done anything crazy. Hmm. And um, how long did the training take? Like from soup to nuts, like to get like ready for a kid to enter your home. Um. Our path classes were nine weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's faster that's than I thought. Right. Well, it was like once a week. For, for three hours. Yeah, for three hours. And then after that, um, we did the home study process where they came out to our house, I think maybe twice. And then they also did a pretty intense phone interview. So we started our classes in summer of 2017. And then we were officially approved in April of 2018. And we started early summer because the last week of classes was my like 38th birthday. Mm. Yep. Hmm. And uh, so going through the process that you went through, would you recommend the process that you went through? Or would you say like, no, use another service? What was your satisfaction level there? I would say it's, it's underserving. Um, however, I, I also think there's so many different situations that that people can can encounter and we as as our home um have really only encountered you know two situations we've had we've had three different placements but 
only two two of the situations are our first and our current are are basically the same. They were both infants, mm -hmm. um, newborns when we got them. So, and longer term, the one class that I do remember and I really appreciated, they did a panel where they brought in caseworkers, um, members of the like after foster care um, for children who are over eighteen or close to aging out. And then they brought in very experienced foster parents. And that, to me, was the most helpful because while I found myself a little bit apprehensive to ask the questions that I really wanted to ask, some people in the class were not quite as scared. And so that stuff kind of got laid out on the table, which was really helpful for me. Yeah, that seems like it would be a really great idea. I think another great idea would be assigning a mentor, a mentor family or, or something along that line. Um, some sort of like support if, if network. Else, yeah, if nothing else, somebody that you can just pick up the phone or send a quick text to and be like, hey, this is going on right now. What do you recommend? Mm. You know? Yeah, especially when you have a caseworker that, you know, isn't super accessible or you have kind of a lot of turnover with your caseworker. Have you guys experienced um, a lot of turnover in caseworkers? Luckily, we have not, although I do feel like we hear about that all the time, and we also hear about how that can delay cases, which is unfortunate, um, but for each of our placements, they've had just one caseworker from start to finish, and I will say, too, when we got our current placement, this was almost a year ago, she had not gotten a caseworker assigned right in the beginning because he was new to the position and hadn't really officially started yet. So for about two weeks, we didn't know who her caseworker was. And that really worried me because I'm thinking like, what if I needed a clothing allowance or what if I needed to take her to the doctor? Or, you know, what if I had questions if I was a first time foster parent at that point, I had no idea who I was supposed to reach out to. So that was a little concerning, but he got assigned after a couple weeks and he's been with us ever since. And he's been pretty good. So we've been thankful for that. Mm. Yeah, I actually, when I was listening to, in the beginning, when I started listening to your podcast, um, you were having a, you and Joel were having a conversation and Joel, I think you made a comment, something like there was a caseworker who like you had to go and do something or provide paperwork or something um, for your foster child. And the caseworker didn't know the name of the child. I could be getting the whole scenario wrong, but I just remember you saying like, that's a problem that like, I have to tell you the name. Yeah. So yeah. can you relay yeah, that, that, that situation? Yeah, that, that happened. I don't remember. It was when we were going to pick up our very first foster daughter, the baby, from the DCS office. And we walked in the door and we're like, wow, you know, she's beautiful. What's her name? And the DCS employee kind of looked at me with a, you know, some sort of look on her face and said, well, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Wow. That's rough. Yeah. That's really rough. I mean, these are the types of things that, you know, they're not, they're not the fun bits. Um, but it's important for my listeners, I think, to hear about what it's really like. And you guys are fo current foster parents. You've been doing this for a few years now. I think it's important and you're still doing it and you love it. And, you know, it's a part of your life. And so I think it's important that when we talk about, you know, like the beautiful aspects of the life that you're living now, um, that we also talk about like the real challenges that you faced because we want 
people to understand why reform is necessary and why awareness around these issues is necessary, because that's not okay. I'm sure that that experience has happened many, many times. This was not an isolated incident. I mean, I've definitely heard of it before. I haven't always had someone accessible that I could call up and say, hey, can I interview on my podcast so you can tell me about that experience? Um, so I think it's important to to kind of collect all of it um, because it's what's going to inform us on what we need to do to move forward to improve upon a system that doesn't forget a child's name when they're literally delivering it to the foster parent. Yeah. Yeah. And it was extra concerning because this was the first foster child we ever picked up. This was our first experience. This was our first experience parenting, period. Wow. And so the timing was also pretty bad on that. It was, it just, it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, hey, welcome to foster care. Get ready. This is your world. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they learned how to spell her name for probably a month. And they didn't know her birthday for her actual birthday for some time. Too. Oh, that's sad. But you guys figured that out. You got that all settled. Yeah, it just took, it probably took a month until like, like there's a couple of different ways you could pronounce her name. Um, based on how it was spelled. It was yeah. like, you couldn't look at it and you said, like, you would know I this see. is how to pronounce it. I, the first time we confirmed how to pronounce her name was on a meeting with her mother when her mother was on the phone and, and pronounced her name and we all then knew how to pronounce it. I see. Wow. Uh, well, expanding on that, so you went to the hospital and you pick up this beautiful newborn baby and um, what? how did you decide that it was a baby that you, the both of you having never parented, how did you know that like the age range and what was the initial age range? And then also, um, how did you feel about the first placement being so, so small, such a, a, a new person? I think we both kind of wanted, um, younger kids, like up to like eight, seven or eight, I think is what we said initially. Um, and our first placement just happened to be only a couple of weeks old at the time. Um, and the, our second placements were a sibling set of, I think, two and five? Yeah, we also had a teenager for a short time, just like a long weekend, because she was in the process of moving to her grandparents. Um, so we had a teenager over a weekend as well. Oh, wow. And then we picked up the third placement from the hospital as well. But we, we really, fourth placement, I guess, yeah, um, we both really knew that we wanted kids and, and, you know, if, if we were able to adopt, it would be cool to, to start with, you know, a newborn and, and, and raise it as our own. And that's just kind of what we've done with all the placements we've had is, is just raise them as our own. And then, um, see what happens. Yeah. Um, we also, I think at least I can speak for myself. I fell for all the stories that I heard, like, on social media and the foster parent groups. You hear only the bad stories sometimes or the bad stories more often. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason initially that we wanted to start with younger children is because I was worried that I was going to get an older child who could, like, punch a hole in our wall or run away. And I just, I, like, I wouldn't know what to do in that scenario 
And I think over time, I've kind of been proven wrong. And should we decide that we are able to open our home for additional foster children, personally, I think I'm ready to expand to older children. And I think that would be a better fit for our family as well. And so I, I think one of the early mistakes that we may have made is not opening our home to a broader age range. Mm. Yeah, the, the older kids definitely get stuck with the bad stigma for sure. Yeah, and it, it's not always that way. Like when we took um, this 16-year-old for the weekend, she was amazing. And I remember we I had a pool party, a birthday party for a friend that I had planned to go to. And, of course, you know, I didn't figure she would have any um, bad feelings about going along with us. So on our way over there, we decided to stop through the drive-thru at Dairy Queen and get an ice cream cone. And she was so thankful and she was so amazed that I was willing to buy her an ice cream cone. And that just, it hurt my heart because this is just something that we would normally do on a summer weekend. Like it wasn't anything for us, just a normal thing. And she was so grateful and we, I really enjoyed having her over that weekend. Oh, did you maintain any contact after she left? We did. Um, She has a cell phone, and so we do text occasionally. Um, She ended up going to live with her grandparents who were in the process of getting their foster license at the time that we had her, and so that was where she wanted to be. Her grandparents were really excited to have her living with them, and so it all worked out really well, and and we do stay in contact. It's not as frequent as I would like it to be, but she's doing really well. Yeah, it's tough when you're a teenager. (laughs) You just kind of want to do your own thing. Wow. Yeah. So if you if you can, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to adopt your son, Brooks? Yeah. So our first placement um, ended up going back after, on my birthday, <laughs> uh, went back to live with her grandmother unexpectedly um, after she had been with us for, I think it was six Thank months. You. Yeah. And... Um, we kept in contact with uh, grandma and the family and still do, uh, honestly, uh, not as much as, as we're able to, um, not because of, of us, but um, we do still talk to him. And so it was probably Christmas of 2018. Christmas Day. Christmas Day, yeah. And, uh, Grandma called us and was like, hey, um, so-and-so's pregnant again, and uh, she's living in, I think it was like New Hampshire or something, yeah. way far away from Nashville, and she's in an abusive relationship, and, you know, can you help us get, buy her a ticket to get back home because she doesn't have, she doesn't even have a winter coat, and it's, uh, it's, you know, December in the Northeast. So we bought her a Greyhound ticket and she got back to Nashville, uh, a couple of days later and they reached out to us and said, Hey, you know, she's pregnant again. Um, as we told you before, are you guys interested in possibly adopting this child? Wow. And so right away we we're kind of like, well, Sure, why not? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, so, some time went by, and, and we didn't hear from them after we told them that we would, were interested, and 
I think it was about March, they called and said, well, you know, we think you should really uh, meet with the mom. Because at that point, we hadn't even met mom. We had met grandma, of course, but we had never met mom in person. Right. So you just bought this Greyhound ticket, she returns, and there was very little contact after that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, we helped somebody get out of an abusive relationship. And that was more than enough for us to, you know, justify the purchase. Right. Yeah. So we met her at uh, the food court at the mall. And I mean, what did, I was still skeptical because she didn't look like she was pregnant to me. She kind of wore baggy clothes, but really didn't look pregnant. And she would have been and, like how pregnant, like maybe four or five months. Probably four wow. would be my guess. Um, so after that, we kind of didn't hear from him for, for a while again. And it was the end of May. Cause I, I still have the picture. They called and asked if we would meet again, if we were still interested. And so we asked her where she wanted to go for, for dinner. And she's like, oh, McDonald's. So we went and met her and took her to McDonald's and, and uh, we had two, the two sibling placement at that time, and we took them to McDonald's, and they did the play thing. And um, I still didn't think it was real, and cause she, she said, oh, I went to the doctor today because I was having contractions, and, you know, I was in the hospital all day, and, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you still don't look pregnant. And then she whips out an ultrasound picture, mm. and it's dated and has her name on it, and I'm like, no, this just got real. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so we knew it was pretty much real at that time. And, uh, lo and behold, on June 11th, uh, our world changed. Wow. Did you know, um, the exact date and, and was Brooks born on that day or was he early or late? <laughs> so, she didn't have a whole lot of prenatal care other than that one ultrasound that she showed us. But based on kind of our calculations and we sat down with her, he was supposed to be born towards the end of August in 2019. And so on June 11th, Joel and I were actually, we were sitting in our hot tub. We were having a nice little cocktail. We didn't (laughs) have any kids in the house at that time. And we were like, you know, I think this is going to happen. We didn't want to get our hopes up too much, but if there's even a possibility, we need to have a name ready. And so we knew it was a boy. We went back and forth a little bit and we finally decided on Brooks. We clinked our glasses and then we went to bed that night and grandma called us right after we had been just like, just fallen asleep. And she said, Hey, my daughter is in labor. She's over at this hospital that doesn't even have a labor and delivery unit. Can you go check on her? I'm stuck at work. I'm on the overnight shift. I can't get out of here. And so what I thought is that we were going to go pick her up. The hospital will have, you know, given her some like sort of weird concoction and then we would just give her a ride home. But when we walked in the door, the first thing the nurses said to us, they said, oh, you must be the parents. He's here. He's been born. Oh, my gosh. And and I kept thinking they must think some they must be thinking of somebody else because we didn't know I didn't know that they didn't have labor and delivery there, so I figured that it was somebody else. Wow, that's insane! Yep, and, and he was here. <laughs> yeah, he was just a little guy. He was 
um, barely four pounds, but everybody was healthy, and he stayed in the NICU for, I think, six and a half, seven weeks, and we went to visit him every day, and then finally he graduated the little NICU, and, and he came home. Wow. That's so beautiful. And yeah, so when, when did you get another foster? I mean, how, how old is Brooksy now? Brooks is 17 months? One and a half, yeah. Yeah, one and a half. And when did we get another place? You got another uh, baby, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, we, we got us another baby. Um, and that was kind of a weird situation as well. They called us on a Thursday and asked if we would take home a, a baby from the hospital. And we're like, uh, okay, what are we getting ourselves into? But we did it. <laughs> uh, we, we said, yeah, Brooks was six months. So we thought we were going to, and and I said, you know, we're interested, but we really want more information uh, before we make a decision, you know, background, so on and so forth. Uh, and they said, yeah, this isn't my case. Um, let me get a hold of the caseworker. I'll call you right back. Didn't hear from them again. Oh, wow. So we're like, well, maybe they found another placement. I don't know. So that Sunday we were actually out test driving uh, new SUVs for Alex and they called while we were at the salesperson's desk and they basically said the same thing. And I said, okay, well, we're interested. We need to know these specific things. And she's like, she's like, I'll call the caseworker it's assigned to and I'll call you right back. Didn't call me back. Wow. So, here we are thinking we're going to pick up another child. And then I think it was on a Tuesday. It was that Tuesday. Yeah, we finally heard back from them the following Tuesday. And they said, okay, she's at the hospital. She's ready for you to, to go pick her up. And we're just like, what, wait, what? Uh, we haven't even gotten the answers to the questions we're asking yet, though. Oh, my gosh. We get a call on, like, that Tuesday, and Alex goes on her first break over to the hospital because we both worked within like a mile and a half of the hospital and goes over there and, and uh, feeds her and uh, the rest is history. She went back to work for a little while and picked her up on her way home from work and she's been at our house ever since. Yeah, and we also got very lucky because the NICU that our foster daughter was in was the same NICU that Brooks was in. And so we kind of were familiar with a lot of the nurses. Well, typically when you take a baby home from the NICU, they make you room in overnight. And I was not looking forward to doing that a second time. Mm. So because we had proven that we, you know, are familiar with preemie babies, we know how to feed them, we know how to keep them safe, we know what to do they did not require us to room in with our foster daughter, which was very nice. Oh, that's very helpful. Yeah, those are the yeah. the situations where like the bureaucratic red tape, it should be, you know, it should be permitted that you skip that step. So I'm glad, yes. I'm glad that I, they did that for you. Yes, me too. So how old was, uh, was she when she came to live with you? Yeah, she was 17 days old. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, And it kind of broke my heart that she had been in the NICU for that many days without, like, her family members or people that she knew or people that she was familiar with 
visiting her mm-hmm. and holding her, you know, because it's very common for NICU babies to have visitors coming in and hold, I mean, at least pre-COVID, um, you know, holding them and spending hours with them and feeding them. And, and she just had nobody that she was familiar with other than the nurses, which, you know, of course, blessings to them, but it just made me so sad that she had no family members there to visit her for the first 15 days of her life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is so heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. And she's been with you already for one year? Yep, just about a year. Wow. So, I mean, I know that you can't get too personal um, or too deep into um, the case of a child um, that you're fostering, but is there a long-term plan? Is there the opportunity for adoption? Is that something that you guys are looking into or is there going to be another plan for her? So, I mean, with foster care, you never know what's going to happen. Um, situations can change at the drop of a hat. I will tell you if asked, we would adopt her. You know, if that becomes an option, we of course would say yes, 100%. No hesitation there. Um, And really it all just depends on if her family members uh, work on the plan that's assigned to them or if other family members come forward who are willing to take her. And, you know, like I said, we've had her almost a year, so it could go either way. But if we were asked to adopt her, we would say yes, a hundred percent exclamation point. No. Oh. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're the only parents that she's ever known. I imagine that yeah. um, any other scenario is going to be hard for all of you. I mean, even if it's what's best yeah. for her in the long run, it's, it's going to be really hard on all of you. Yeah. A hundred percent. And she's very different from our son Brooks. Brooks is kind of independent, you know, he likes to play on his own, and he's kind of like, he's aggressive, and he's rough, and he's like, really boy, and she's more, she's subdued, and she's sweet, and she's cuddly, and she's very, very attached to Joel and I, so I can't imagine her permanently going to live anywhere else, it would be very difficult for all of us. Yeah, yeah, a year's a very long time. Uh-huh. And when a baby is that small, I mean, you just watch every single thing. I mean, like they just grow every single day. It's kind of a magical thing to to witness. Uh-huh. So yeah, well, I, I will keep all of you in my thoughts and really hope for the best possible outcome for all of you. Yep. Uh, my next question. Thank you. Yeah. My, my next question is around, um, you know, so we talked about some of the challenges um, that you sort of came into this expecting. Um, what would you say have been the toughest challenges? And this can be not just as a parent, but it can even be like on an administrative level. Like Joel, I think at one point, like you talked about like your hours were expiring or like a renewal of a certificate or something. And that they just were kind of making you jump through some hoops. And so like, what, what would you frame as kind of like the, the biggest challenges, but also from a perspective of like, just seemed really kind of unnecessary and are problematic. I would I would say right now, uh, our biggest challenge is lack of transparency and candor. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty common. Uh, from from the workers' um, standpoint, you know, it's it, we we kind of know where the parents stand, but I don't know. It's it's just we don't get the full picture. Um, and I think we deserve the full picture. Absolutely. As part of the team, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, I don't know. I think that's probably my biggest uh, issue right now. What about you, Alex? I think that's definitely a problem. One of the most difficult situations in my eyes was with our first placement when everything was going a certain way. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of transparency, but we definitely didn't expect to get a call on one random day and say, hey, grandmother has been granted custody. We had a court hearing this morning. Nobody had ever told us that this court hearing was coming. Nobody invited us. Nobody told us that there was a grandmother that was interested. And it was like one day she was a part of our family and the next day she wasn't. And it just happened that quick. And I feel like um, preparing the foster families and so that the foster families can prepare the children right. would have made it much easier for everybody. And, and that's one situation that I really wish we could have avoided. Mm, yeah. And when I talk about trauma in other episodes, I'm not just talking about the trauma that the child comes into your home with, but it's the trauma that they endure as a result of how they are handled in the system. And yeah, that's totally not okay to um, come into your home and take these children without warning. I mean, that's traumatizing for the child um, and inappropriate in in my perspective. And also like you guys are people too. And you know, parenting is not easy and bonding is important and they ignore all of those facts when they make a decision like that. So I'm really sorry that that happened to you guys. Yeah, thank you. I just feel like a transitional period would have made so much more sense. We would have been 100% willing to participate in that, you know, maybe a few nights in her eventual home and then back here and then, you know, kind of make it a slow process. I think that would have been so much it would have made so much more sense. Yeah. yeah, And I, I don't think that agencies are often trained um, or informed on, on how to properly perform these things. They're not keeping in mind trauma-informed intervention and strategies and methodologies. And it's just not informing the system on a real systemic level. And I think that's why you see decisions like this get rolled out and you're just like, what? Like, who in their right mind thinks that this is a good call, but people are doing it all the time. And I think in the system, it's just become so normalized, like these last minute things. And they forget that you're not like shuffling packages. This isn't Amazon. Like these are children and these are families who are now a big part of their life. And that has to be honored and respected, especially if you want to keep good foster parents, that if this, if this is an experience that happens even one time, but certainly more than one time, it's really going to wear down a family that may go, you know what, this is too much for us. We can't handle this. And then you lose really good foster parents who otherwise could have helped, you know, many more children down the line. Yep. So my next question is what about foster care is really rewarding and what, what keeps you in it? I mean, it's easy to say what's rewarding. We get to wake up and and see two freshly energized faces every morning. Um, I thought you were going to say freshly energized diapers. Yeah, well, those two. But uh, our kids in particular are both so happy in the morning, and it's fun to wake up and see how, how happy they are and smiley they are. Let, let's be candid. The end of the day is not necessarily the same but um for me I, i'm an early riser most of the days and and i come home from the gym at six o'clock and i'm greeted by 
by two happy little faces and that's always that's always awesome and you know just the feeling of knowing that their lives would be very very different um if they weren't in our home so that's kind of what keeps me going Mm. what about you alex kind of similar I think my favorite part about being a foster parent or even just being a parent is watching them learn and grow. So both of these kids started their lives at four pounds. And so they were just these like little alien potato creatures. <laughs> and, and now they're like walking and crawling. And like, if I wave at them, they'll wave back. And if I start to clap, They'll clap back, and it's just, it's the craziest thing to me that we're able to help these kids learn the skills that they need to know that will eventually turn them into adults, and it's just, it's like so mind-boggling to me, but that is my favorite part. I just, I love seeing them learn and grow and master new skills. It just makes me so happy. On that note, this morning when I dropped Brooks off at daycare, I said, I said, bye, Mr. Tatoes, and he looked at me and said, bye. <laughs> in his little country accent, he, he never does that. So he's developing he's some swagger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so sweet. And are you guys considering um, continuing to foster additional children, or is your home kind of full at the moment? <laughs> well, um, so we have this conversation quite often, and I think we're both a little bit on the fence. Um, I see my family uh, with three children mm. in it, and I think Joel is kind of torn between being settled with two children or having another children. I know we can't bring in any more, like, small children. We're kind of at our baby capacity right yeah. now, mm -hmm. but we may consider, um, like, an older child or waiting a few years. I don't know. It's all still up in the air. It depends on on how good I am at convincing Joel that we need one more. <laughs> Come on, Joel, get on convinced. board. No pressure. <laughs> I am still not convinced. <laughs> I'm still working on him. Well, and it takes time. I mean, family is the single most important thing and, and everyone has to feel supported and, and prepared. And so, yeah, that's a very personal decision and you get there when you get there. Yeah. Is there anything that you guys would like to share that I didn't um, either ask about or touch upon um, specifically about parenting and, and maybe even more specifically fostering that you would like my listeners to know or any tips you'd like to share? Expect the unexpected. Mm, that's a good one. It's never, there's no timeline for each kid. There's no, there's no typical anything in foster care I feel like so expect the unexpected and and don't just don't get your hopes too far up keep grounded in, in reality yeah those are those are good ones yeah I think my advice to people who may be considering becoming foster parents is you're gonna need a lot of patience um, everything in foster care seems to move very, very slow unless it's something that you want to move slow. In that case, it moves super quickly. 
Um, like Joel said, expect the unexpected. You never know how a situation is going to turn out. You can hope and hope and hope for, you know, a particular outcome. And for us, at least, it just seems like the longer we do this, the more convinced that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing and we are where we're supposed to be because it didn't feel like that forever. For several years, it kind of felt like we're, you know, a fish out of water and we don't really know what we're doing and we're trying to get the hang of things. And now I'm kind of looking back saying, wow, we really have learned a lot. I hope we've contributed positively to the lives of children and maybe even their biological families. But either way, that's what we were supposed to be doing. And right now is where we're supposed to be. Mm, That's awesome. That's really beautiful. And so you have a podcast, Alex and Joel, you often appear on it. So can you tell my listeners about a little bit about your podcast and where they can find it to listen? Yeah, for sure. So my podcast is called Barely Braided and Joel is very often one of my co-hosts and we have a good time. Um, The goal of my podcast is to talk to people who are looking into becoming foster parents or adoptive parents or just any sort of parents, um, we want to talk about not only the good stuff, but also the stuff that is less often talked about, kind of the sticky stuff or the stuff that you're not typically going to read on a foster parent blog or hear on a foster parent podcast because we found that like you said earlier, there are so many families that sign up to take the classes or they're considering becoming adoptive parents or foster parents. And one hard thing happens or unexpected thing happens and they completely throw in the towel. Hmm. And so we would like to put out the real message, the real story, what really happens. So that way people are prepared and the kids in those homes won't have to suffer, hopefully. So that's our goal. It's called Barely Braided Podcast. I don't know. It's like kind of mediocre, but we have fun with it. (laughs) (laughs) And where can we find it? Um, We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms. And then we are also on Instagram at Barely Braided Podcast. Great. And so how long do you think you'll do this? Uh, Well... That's a good question. (laughs) Because it's great. It seems like you're not going to ever run out of material, really. (laughs) As long as we keep getting a new review every now and again, so we know that people are actually listening, I'm down to keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah, as long as we know we have at least one listener out there, we'll continue. (laughs) I suppose when my mom quits listening, we'll uh, we'll hang it up. (laughs) Yeah, I have the same thing here. I have like a, a a small core group of people who religiously listen, but they're all either related to me or very, very close to me. And I'm like, that's great. Can you tell your friends though? That would be better. <laughs> I love that you yeah, listen, but you already know all of this. So, well, and I, I really adore um, the connection that the two of you bring to the podcast. And that was really what kept me listening was the conversations between the two of you. And it's just... Um, a really important reminder that you have to nurture your relationship too, and you have to really be there for each other because this parenting is hard work period, but especially when you're doing it through the foster care system, it it's so challenging. And I think you guys are just doing an awesome job. And I love that you're strong enough to bring that, you know, to a public forum and share 
um, all of the strength that you're building with others so that they can feel strong as well. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your podcast as well. I kind of feel like we're like teammates in this journey. <laughs> so I really appreciate what you do too. Oh, thank you. No, that's awesome. That's an awesome feeling. And I need that, right? Because like when you're a podcaster, I mean, you at least have Joel, but you know, it can be like you're functioning a little bit in a silo. And so I, I sometimes just like find myself like talking to like just anyone who will listen if I just like recorded a podcast episode. It's usually my mom. <laughs> and I'm just like, because I, I don't have like a colleague, you know, at work, I have a team, I can, you know, talk all day about something with someone or like have a little meeting here, a little call there. But you know, in this work, it's, you know, I'm doing all the research, I'm doing all of the outreach to guests. And so it's really nice to especially to connect with you, because although a lot of my other guests, I, I keep in touch with, and it, it's been great. And I feel like they're very much collaborators with me. It's great to have um, a friend out there who's doing this in the same way, because it does, it does kind of come with a different set of um, kind of challenges. I mean, even emotionally, like when you hear someone's story, I mean, you know, I could spend uh, a whole day kind of like recovering from like whatever vicarious experience I had as a result of sitting down with that particular guest. So it's a journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it absolutely. And um, I also feel like it's a bit therapeutic too, when you're able to like kind of tell your story or even when Joel and I just like sit in our closet and drink whiskey and podcast, like I feel very emotional, but also that it was therapeutic after the episode is over. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's the same here. It's same here. It's, it feels therapeutic, but it, it also feels like a process I have to go through. It's like a cycle. Like I have to go through this cycle. Um, and there's like a, a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, but it's not just like uh -huh. a one quick thing, like, Oh, I hit stop record and I move on with my life. It, it's never happened that way. So, yeah. <sighs> well, yeah. thank you both so much for coming and for sharing your voices and your stories and for the ongoing work that you're doing for this community. It's super important. It really means a lot. And I think it's going to, it's going to change a lot of people's lives. So thank you again for coming on. And I hope that we'll stay in touch. And as your journey continues, I would love to continue to share that with my listeners. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye.